podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. podcast on wednesday august the 26th my name is dave hendrick and we are brought to you by eplindex.com and our presenting sponsor libertyshield.com liberty shield is a vpn provider and for all their services you can check out libertyshield.com so there's a lot of news today there's an awful lot going on in the world of premier league football and i think it's important to, to start with the the elephant in the room which is the Lionel Messi situation uh, and the rumours that he could indeed be joining Manchester City. Now, the Messi thing is a little bit crazy. Uh, News came out maybe a week ago that he was considering leaving Barcelona. Yesterday, we had confirmation that he has, in fact, sent them a fax um, telling them that he wants to leave. There's a big question mark over whether he's allowed to leave for free or whether he has to, um, you know, whether he'd be subject to a fee. This stems from a clause in his contract that Barcelona say expired in June, and Messi's team are saying that because of COVID it should be extended. I think that's going to be quite a hard one for Messi to, to win if it goes to court. But it's become clear he wants out. and. I can't imagine how unpopular you would be in the city of Barcelona, in the Barcelona fan base, if you're the president who's responsible for Messi wanting to leave. But it might not be the worst thing in the world for Barcelona. If they could get a fee, if they could get, I mean, his buyout clause is 700 million. So let's park that. Nobody's paying that. Um, As brilliant as he is, Messi is 33 years of age. Nobody's paying that sort of money for him. But he's Lionel Messi. He's the greatest player of our lifetimes. Maybe the greatest player of all time. I think you'll get $100 million for him, being honest. I look at the Cristiano Ronaldo uh, deal when he left Real Madrid and went to Juventus. Similar age, not the player. As great as Cristiano is, he, he's not Messi. And he cost a hundred million. So if Barca could get a hundred million and then reinvest that money, that could be a way out of the financial mess they find themselves in. We know that they've told Suarez his services are no longer required. They're going to release him. They'll probably do the same to Vidal. I think they might do the same with Rakitic. And if they could move Messi out the door as well, that would shift four of the older players in the team, four of the highest earning players in the team. Remember, their their wage bill is well over $600 million per year. Messi alone takes home, before tax, over $100 million a year between his £1 million or €1 million Euro a week wages, his image rights, his bonuses, and his loyalty bonus, which is allegedly $25 million a year, which is ludicrous. 
Barcelona have dug themselves an enormous hole in the Messi situation. And rumours are that part of the problem is that new manager Ronald Koeman told Messi, your privileges end now. Now, that could backfire very badly on Mr. Koeman if the president resigns and somebody else comes in and it's choice between Koeman and Messi. It's pretty clear that the choice would be Messi for anyone wanting to get the fans on side, which would mean Koeman potentially out the door before he's even managed a game after he'd walked away from his own national team. So the club's been linked PSG, who'll have the money, and won't be afraid to go and spend, and Manchester City. And the City one is interesting because I think, you know, Messi in the Premier League is something that regardless of your loyalty, I think Messi in the Premier League is something we can all agree, Messi would be great for the Premier League. He would be phenomenal for the Premier League. And it would put to bed a lot of the nonsense that, you know, can he do on a a cold Tuesday in Stoke or wherever. Now, his record against Premier League teams in the Champions League is incredible. He's absolutely torched multiple Premier League teams on multiple occasions. And rumours are, according to Dean Jones of Bleacher Report, Barcelona would really like Bernardo Silva. So maybe City could find a deal there where they include Bernardo Silva and an amount of cash, maybe $50 And they get back Messi. Silva's not a starter for City. I think he's a tremendous footballer. I think he'd be a really good fit at Barcelona if they're looking to go to a younger, newer, fresher approach. Build around the likes of Usman Dembele, Frankie de Jong, obviously. Bring back in Coutinho. Um, use Griezmann as your main striker. They're still going to have problems. I mean, the Pjanic deal was was not wise. They swapped Artur for Pjanic and they got six years older or five years older on that deal for around the same level of player at this point. Pjanic has declined. Artur is still on is still on the, the improvement uh, scale. So it's an interesting one to follow. I, I, I think he ends up staying personally, but regardless of the fact that he wouldn't be coming to Liverpool or, you know, whoever you support, I think we can all agree that to get to see Messi in the Premier League would be a fantastic thing for the league, for the good of the league, for the good of every club looking to sell out their home games. When fans come back, there won't be an empty seat in the house once Messi's in town. No matter who you are, if Lionel Messi is coming to town, your stadium is going to be sold out. He's that much of a draw. And the City project, obviously, is to win the Champions League. That's why they have Pep. And apparently Pep has already spoken to Messi. There's talk that Pep's contract is out next summer, 2021, and he might leave. So if that's the case, then he's got one year to win the Champions League. And what better piece to add than Lionel Messi? Now, it doesn't solve their issues in defence, of course. But if they can get him without overpaying, now they'll overpay on the wages because the wages are going to be astronomical no matter where he goes. Unless he decides that winning is more important. And if that's the case, then that might open the door for other clubs. AC Milan might look at it and go, well, we'd really love to get back to where we used to be. 
we'd really love to be AC Milan again. Bayern Munich might look at it and think, you know what? For the potential to dominate Europe and maybe win a couple more Champions Leagues, let's do that. Manchester United might get interested. Chelsea might get interested. City will have the inside track. The most money. Guardiola, obviously. Chiki Bergerestein, don't rule out the influence that he will have. Played a very big and prominent role in the early days of Messi. As I've said before, I want to put all tribalism aside and bias aside on this podcast. And personally, as a fan of the Premier League, as a football fan, first and foremost, I would love to see Messi in the Premier League, no matter what club he comes to. I think it would just be fascinating to see how he would adapt, how the league would adapt, whether we'd see managers start to specifically game plan for him. I I just think it would be a wonderful thing for the Premier League to see Lionel Messi in any Premier League shirt. We'll follow that one as it goes. Um, Next biggest story at the moment then is obviously the Harry Maguire situation. And he has been found guilty of aggravated assault, resisting arrest and attempted bribery by a Greek court. It's a very strange situation. I mean, his story in court was that these group of Albanian men in injected his sister with something and then she passed out. Uh, I'd be curious to know how they know they're Albanian. Not to disparage the story, but I would like to know how Messrs. Maguire and co. knew that these men were Albanian. Um, did they have a, some sort of medical report? Had had the sister been you know, tested for any substances in her system? If those tests are pending, should the case really have gone ahead? I think there's there's obviously a lot that Maguire needs to address, um, putting his head in the sand, pleading not guilty and just trying to make it all disappear will not work for him. The fact that the trial happened so quickly and he was sentenced immediately is a little bit different, obviously, to what we'd be used to in um in western europe but that's how they do things now he was sentenced to 21 months in prison but that has been suspended because this was his first offense now i'm not being funny but if you can get a suspended sentence for aggravated assault and attempting to to bribe a police officer there's clearly something wrong with the justice system in the country the 21 months thing is funny as well what they've basically said to him is because obviously he will leave the country So there's absolutely no opportunity for him to commit another crime in Greece and re-trigger this sentence to be passed on him. So what they've basically said is, don't come here on holidays next year, but the following year, you're all good. At the end of the Premier League season in May 2022, you're all good. Come on over and everything's fine. So that's a weird situation. I, I think there's going to have to be punishments for him. I'm, I'm not going to talk about the man's character because I, I don't know him. And like I said, 
on Monday, I think everything I've I've read about him, every time I've seen him interviewed, he seems like a genuinely good guy. But appearances can be deceiving. I think he will have to lose the Manchester United captaincy. I think the club will have to punish him in that regard. I think it's a it's a stain on the image of Manchester United that their captain was caught up in something like this. Now that's not to say he can he can never be captain again. Maybe you just take the armband off him for the first half of the season and then give it back. I think he has to potentially face a suspension from from England duty. I thought it was really bad for him that he was named in the squad. Now, it looks like he's going to withdraw anyway, but I thought it was really bad for him that he was named in the squad. Raheem Sterling was dismissed from an England squad for a minor scuffle with Joe Gomez. Harry Maguire was up on charges of assault and bribery and was named in the England squad. And the Sterling-Maguire thing is fascinating because you see the coverage from different outlets about those two players over the last few years. You do have to raise questions as to whether there's a, a bit of extreme bias towards Sterling in a negative manner and towards Maguire in a positive manner and what that's about. It's something that the British media are guilty of. Sterling has spoken a number of times about, you know, the abuse he's faced uh, from fans. But I think the abuse he's faced from the media has been much, much worse. This is a guy who bought his mother a house and got criticized for throwing money around. And then was pictured in Poundland and got criticized for being a cheapskate. I don't understand the coverage of Raheem Sterling. I understand Liverpool fans having a gripe with him. I also understand that that's not entirely his fault. He didn't want to leave Liverpool. He got pushed out the door. But I don't understand why Raheem Sterling isn't held up as an example of what young British men and immigrants to Britain, childhood immigrants to Britain, who adopt the English way of life, why aren't they held up more as an example of if you do everything in your power to chase your dream, it can become reality. Sterling is one of the finest footballers in the Premier League. I think he's been top five the last two seasons. I think he's one of the very best players the English national team have. And I think he is one of the best players England has produced in a long, long time. But he's not carried like that. He's not treated like that. He got a lot of credit for standing up to racism at Chelsea a couple of years ago. And he... he you know, wrote a piece for one of the the daily newspapers that got a lot of praise, but he shouldn't ever have to do that. He wouldn't have to do it if his skin was a different color. And I think if Maguire's skin was a different color, 
I think the media narrative around him would be a little bit different. I think he'd get a lot less protection and there'd be more questions asked. Now, I'm not saying that's fair. But I think that is the situation. That Maguire is getting a little bit protected because of his pigmentation. He's going to appeal by all accounts and the Greek system apparently could take take three years for him to appeal this situation. He was tried and found guilty in four years, but uh, four sorry four days, but to clear his name could take three years. Again, that speaks to a a legal system that maybe maybe isn't the best that it could possibly be. Um, we'll move on. So, Leeds United are uh, on the verge of completing the signing of Rodrigo from uh, Valencia for a fee in the region of 30 million euros plus some add-ons. And um, there seems to be some split opinion on this deal. I, I've also got a split opinion. I think he's a good player. I don't think he's a great player, but I do think he's a good player. My concern would be if you're buying him as your striker, he doesn't score a whole ton of goals. Only one season in his career, um, sorry, two seasons in his career has he managed over 10 league goals. And remember, he spent three years playing in Portugal. He's been at Valencia now for six years. And only in 17-18 did he manage over 10 goals. He scored 16 in the league that year, 19 and 44 in all competitions. Now, I think, he, like I said, I think he's a good player. And he can also play as a winger, but I think you waste him there. Striker or second striker is the best, best spot for him. I think with a partner, he could be very effective. I'm not sure how, how well he will do up front on his own. I think it's a bit of a surprising deal as well because he's 29. He will be 30 in March. So you're not going to have any resale value. And Leeds, obviously, is a newly promoted team. There's always a bigger risk for a newly promoted team that you could go straight back down um, because you, you'll be carrying up a number of players that are championship caliber and maybe don't make that step to the Premier League. So to spend that type of money on a guy who will be 30 next summer when you know you you reevaluate things after the season it is a risk but Leeds do need to spend they need to show some ambition here they can't afford to just to do a Norwich to come up not by anybody and hope for the best they don't have the talent to do that they don't have as much talent coming up as Norwich did last year Calvin Phillips is this the standout, but I mean he's already twenty three, twenty four. Um, ben White would have been the other one, obviously, but they don't own him. I still think they need to address their central defensive situation. I still think they need to bring in a central midfielder and maybe a creator as well. Emmy Buendia would be. A really, really good fit there. They've been linked with with Ben Rama, but I think Emmy Buendia would be a better fit for them. Um, they've got work to do now. The one of the issues is that Bielsa likes a small squad, and he doesn't really want 
you know, mass turnover. He doesn't want a big amount of signings in one summer, which is fine. But at the same time, how long is Bielsa really going to be there? John McKenzie from All Stats, aren't we? A brilliant Leeds-based site was on Kevin DeVries' EPL roundtable the other day. And he was discussing this as well and how Leeds could find themselves in a, a difficult situation whenever Bielsa leaves. And he renews his contract year to year. So he could go next summer. He could stay for five years, but he'll never give them that long-term promise of, yes, I'm here for five years. Um, so it creates an interesting you know, situation where the director of football will no doubt want to go and get players in and plan for the long term and maybe buy in a couple of young players that they can loan out and develop and have in their system, uh, whereas Bielsa wants a really tight-knit, smaller group, very similar to, to how Jurgen Klopp operates with that smaller group. Rodrigo's, it's a good ambitious signing. I'll say that. It's a good ambitious signing. He's definitely uh, a step up on what they have in, in the attacking areas at the minute. The other deal that's kind of ongoing for them is that Jean-Kevin Augustine deal where they brought him in in January on loan with an obligation to buy if they were promoted. Uh, he had some injuries and didn't really settle all that well and sort of fell out of favour with Bielsa. Leeds are arguing that they hadn't been promoted by the time his loan expired. And RB Leipzig are saying, no, that's nonsense. You were promoted and you should therefore pay us the 20 million or whatever it was that they agreed to pay. And this is going to go through the courts. And John McKenzie on, on that podcast with Kevin was saying that there's talk that Leeds might just pay the fee and not take the player. Either leave him at Leipzig or make him a free agent. I think that would be monumentally stupid I think if you're going to pay that type of money at least get the asset even if you want to sell them in six months at least get the asset don't just throw away that kind of money you're not in the financial position to throw away that type of money and if you if you do and then you end up you know short an attacker it really won't speak well I mean he's only 23 he just turned 23. He's a very, very talented player. He's a little inconsistent, but we've seen inconsistent players. St. Maximum at Newcastle is one of the most, was one of the most inconsistent players I'd ever seen until he rocked up at Newcastle. And throughout the season, he developed a consistent level of performance and was Newcastle's best player over the year. There's a reason Augustine is, is highly rated. There's a reason that Leipzig bought him from PSG. There's a reason that Monaco took him on loan. There's a reason he's been, you know, he was a regular for the French underage teams and a very prolific goal scorer at underage level for France. He is a very talented player. You just have to find the right system and the right setup for him. And I think Bielsa's system is the right setup for him. I think he could be really, really dynamic in one of their wide positions, cutting in, linking with Rodrigo, Linking with Harrison, linking with Pablo, Fernand Pablo Hernandez. I think if they're obligated to do it, just do it. Just get it over with and get the player in. You can sell him next year if you don't, if you don't like him. You'll get half your money back. You don't pay the money and not keep him or not bring him. Release him on a free. That would be, that would be suicidal. 
your leads. Remember your past. <laughs> Remember your past. Um, another attacking player on the move looks like Eberichi Easy. Crystal Palace rumoured to have agreed a £16 million fee with QPR. This would be a great signing for Crystal Palace. A great, great signing for Crystal Palace. He was strongly linked with West Ham, strongly linked with Fulham. Uh, he was linked with Leeds and Villa. He's a very, very talented player, and he's just gone 22. So he's got acres and acres of development left in him. And he was one of the best players in the championship last season. 14 goals from attacking midfield is a really, really good return. He's a, a really creative player, a brilliant dribbler. He will make defenders look silly twice a game, guaranteed. And I don't just mean beat them. I mean actively make them look silly. So for Palace to get him in, this is the most exciting thing they've done since they brought Zaha back. And the signing of him to go with the signing of Nathan Ferguson is a really nice step towards becoming an interesting Premier League team. Getting younger players in who can develop, who can change your stodgy, hodgy ball style of play, who will excite the fans and get them back invested in things once fans are led back in the stadiums. Palace have a, have a brilliant group of fans anyway, and they're incredibly loyal. They make an incredible racket at every game. Um, but they've been subjected to a lot of turgid football over the last seven years or so. I mean, Tony Pulis was there. Pardew was there. Sam Allardyce was there. And now Hodgie. He did get five games of Frank De Boer, but obviously that was an unmitigated disaster. But there has to be more to football than finishing 14th and playing that style of football. I don't think they scored more than two goals in a single game last year. They're built on, you know, two banks of four. Everybody works really hard. And that's fine. That's absolutely fine. But when you're going forward, you have to have a little bit of verve to your game. They have Zaha. Now, it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. Um, I had thought Everton would be in for him, but it looks like they're they're going a different direction. Um, so if Zaha stays, Zaha and Easy will be will be must see TV a lot of weeks. They'll need a goal scorer. Maybe Sorlat comes back after a really uh, productive loan spell in Turkey, but he apparently wants to go to RB Leipzig. I think Palace will be best off to keep him because you know. Goal scorers are hard to come by, and Palace are very much lacking in goal scorers. Um, the Benteke thing didn't work. AU works hard and, and he's a good player, but he's not, he's not really uh, a striker. He's more of a winger. Sorlat, Sorlat is only 24, and with 24 goals in 34 games last season, that's a prolific goal scorer coming in in great form. Now, he wasn't good when he was with Palace originally, but this loan really worked out for him, and he took a step forward. And that is a front three, with Zaha on the right, simplifying his game. He will absolutely torture left-backs all year long. Easy on the on the left, as the creator cutting in field, opening the channel for Patrick Van Aanholt to bomb forward. 
and Sorlot in the middle. That's a front three that Palace could really, really build something with. Um, Ferguson at right back is that little bit more defensive-minded player, which is ideal behind Zaha. And then they have a group of experienced, older centre-backs in Dan, uh, Kelly, Cahill, Sacco, Tompkins. The issue is keeping them fit, but if they can get a a solid run there with two of them, Cahill and and Sacco are the two best. Um, If they could keep those two together for 25 Premier League games next year, that, that would be fine. They've got a good goalkeeper, and they've got solid bodies in midfield. Now I again would continue to look to you know get a little bit younger, maybe bring in someone like Pollock from Grimsby into that centre back room, and maybe say goodbye to maybe Martin Kelly or James Thompson. You've got a lot of similarities between him, between the two of those and Scott Dan. Keep two of them, shift one of them, and get that younger centre back in to develop, to learn from the players you have. Uh, like I say, midfield is a, a bunch of hard workers there. But again, you could look to bring in someone a little bit younger from the lower leagues who you can develop and is part of your long-term future with the likes of Ferguson and easy once that's done. It's a good move for Palace. It's a really good move. And, and to get him over two London rivals who, with respect, one is a bigger club in West Ham and Fulham are a richer club. So for them to get him over the line, he really wants to go there is what that tells me. And that's always a benefit, or a plus rather, uh, in a transfer. If the player really wants to make the move, it's a good sign. Uh, I mentioned Zaha and Everton, and the reason that that doesn't look like it will happen this summer is because Everton are rumoured to be close to securing a deal for James Rodriguez from Real Madrid. Um, there's, again, there seems to be some split opinion on this. I would... I, I would be really excited about this if I was an Everton player because this is a, a, a re- legitimate star that you're bringing in. A legitimate star quality player. Now, m- maybe he's flattered to deceive. That's fair. That is absolutely fair. But he has been an important player for Real Madrid. He was an important player for Bayern Munich. He's a prolific winner. He has three Portuguese league titles, two La Liga titles. Now, he didn't play a whole lot last season, but he did the first time around. And he's got two Bundesliga titles. He's also got two Champions League winners medals. This is a prolific winner who has proven himself at the Champions League level, in the Bundesliga, in La Liga, in Ligue 1, in the Portuguese Super League. And he has been brilliant at international tournaments for Colombia as well. So I don't see why you wouldn't um why you wouldn't be in favor of bringing a player like this to your club. Now the wages will be high uh, the Portuguese league is called the Primera Liga not the Super Liga apologies for that. Um but I don't see why you know you would be against this deal. The wages will be high. But that's understandable. I mean look at his profile. You're already paying colossal money to a bunch of mediocre and below players if the fee isn't excessive if the fee is somewhere in the 25 to 30 million pound range then this deal makes sense for Everton um he's also 29 like uh like Rodrigo but I think his game will translate a little bit better for the long run and I think Everton have far less worries of relegation than Leeds do 
where he fits is going to be interesting. Um, Carlo looked like he wanted to play a variation of a 4-4-2. Now, you could play Hammers off the right-hand side, cutting in on his left foot. That could well be effective. Maybe he'll play him just off his main striker, whoever he chooses that to be. He could move Richarlison maybe to a wide position if that's what he does. Maybe you don't get the most from him there, but it, it could be effective using his pace to break late into the box. Um, Calvert-Lewin, you would expect, will start the season as the number nine. Um, that is That is something that could functionally work. Everton are being ambitious this year. And they're being ambitious in in more than just we're going to spend lots of money. Oh, ignore what we've brought in. We spent lots of money. That's the that's the line. Everton spend lots of money, not Everton waste lots of money on average players, which is what they've done for a number of years. But if they could get him and Alan, I think they need a couple more. They definitely need a right back. That's something they have to address. But. You you can't ever disparage a team for being ambitious. And that's what Everton are doing here, is they're being ambitious. That right-back situation is a problem, though. And the one name I'd throw out would be Matty Cash. I think a lot of Premier League teams should be looking at him. West Ham, they've got the worst right-back situation in the league. Worst full-back situation in the league, without question. Um, West Ham should be in for him. Everton should be in for him. Newcastle should be in for him. But it looks like Fulham are the favourites to get him for somewhere in the region of about 15 to 16 million. And again, I think that's a really good deal. Another one who's just turned 23. Really good signing uh, for any Premier League club looking for an attacking right back. Big and strong, gets up and down the line, good on the ball, creative player, good cross, very good crosser the ball. Matty Cash reminds me a little bit of Andy Robertson from a you know a, a right back point of view compared to a left back, but I think he'll be a really good signing for anyone that lands him. I, I also think Spurs could be looking at him now. It seems they prefer to bring in uh, Matt Doherty from. From Wolves. Doherty's a good player, but he's a wing back. He's not a full back. There's a reason Wolves play him specifically as a wing back. That system was set up because of players like him. He's really good going forward, but defensively, he's questionable to say the least. Um, he does play full back for Ireland, but he's also played in the wing for Ireland. So I, I wouldn't be against the signing if. I knew you were going to play the right system, the right shape, but I don't know. He just doesn't seem to me like a Mourinho type of fullback. He'll be 29 in January, so he's not going to get any better. He is what he is as a player now. It's not one I would have. It's not one I would have looked at if I was Spurs. Um, but rumors are the price might only be about 12 to 15 million. So in that regard, maybe. Maybe that's fine then in that regard, and you can spend your money elsewhere. I imagine it's a tight year at Spurs this year, so, you know, Mourinho wants experience. He's been in the Premier League a bunch of years. He's got the experience. Let's see. 
Um, if he leaves, Matty Cash would be an, an, an alternative for Wolves, but it does seem like Ainsley Maitland-Niles is the uh, preferred target. Rumours are that Arsenal are looking for £20 million for him, which seems high, but he's 22. He'll be 23 this uh, next week. And he can play everywhere. Wing-back, winger, central midfield. He'd do, do a job for you if you needed him anywhere. Um, if he goes to Wolves to replace Doherty, then obviously he steps in as a starter. So you suppose that makes sense for him, for his career, for his advancement. Um, Nuno will definitely develop him. One thing Nuno's really good at is, is developing players of his, his ilk. Chelsea appear to be on the verge of signing everybody, which is, you know, it's what they did many years ago. It's what they seem to be looking to do again. Um, Thiago Silva and Malang Sar are the two who look most likely to join in the next couple of days. The Kai Havertz deal rumbles and rumbles, and we'll wait and see what happens with it. But... I've got uh, Malang Sar when he broke through at Nice looked like he was going to be a really really good player, but he has not developed over the last two to three years. He stagnated quite badly, and he's also become something of a tweener. And what I mean by that is, I think he's a little bit too short to play central defence in the Premier League. He's five ten, and he's not like an explosive athlete, and he's a little bit too slow to play as a left back. I think if you played a back three. He'd be really good as the left-sided one. Um, maybe not in the Premier League, because again, the height thing, I think teams would target that a little bit. But he is a good player. It doesn't seem like he's got any future, really, at Chelsea, though. It very much seems like they're signing him purely to loan him out. And that's something they've done with a number of players. I don't think it's a good move for his career. But it is a way for Chelsea to... Make themselves more self-sufficient. You know, get players in on loan or, on, sorry, on freeze or on the cheap. Loan them out, build their value, and then sell them on. Chelsea won't mind paying him slightly higher wages than other clubs would have while that goes on. It's a strange move, though. Strange move for him. He won't get, he won't get real stability in his career unless he goes somewhere on like a two-year loan. So... Wait and see. Thiago Silva then uh, is the other one. He's 36 soon. He's great at defending in his own penalty area. But he's never, ever been asked to defend big spaces. He's never, not in, in recent years, he hasn't played with that fully-fledged attacking fullback that he'll find in Reese James at Chelsea. Now, Aspi Laqueta might play a lot of the games and that will help him because he'll tuck in. There's a reason that Thomas Tuchel played Thilo Carrera at right back. There's a reason that he played Marquinhos at centre back. It was to be safety blankets. To tuck right in around Thiago Silva. Kimbembe plays. If you, if you watch them play, look how close Kimbembe plays from. Silva's brilliant in his 18-yard box. He will get absolutely annihilated in any type of big space. If he gets caught 1v1, 25 yards from goals, he, he, might, as, he might as well just sit down and not even try. Uh, in 
the French League, that happened multiple times this past season. In the Premier League, it will happen probably every game. He's also never seen anything like the direct style of play he'll he'll face in the Premier League. And he's good in the air. But he's good in the air when he's got like two or three aerial duels a game. What happens if he's got 10 to 12? Teams will will pick at that. There's also no real track record of central defenders coming to the Premier League at 36 and succeeding, no matter who they are. Laurent Blanc was better than him. Laurent Blanc was physically more suited to playing in the Premier League, and Laurent Blanc was fairly atrocious when he came to the Premier League. This has been held up as as a great signing. I don't think it is. I really don't think it is a great signing. I want to do a little bit more on Chelsea in the coming weeks uh, once their window looks a bit more complete. Um, The Chilwell deal is is still ongoing. The, The Havertz deal is still ongoing. Um, I think they're having a, a very good window if they get those two deals across the line but these two don't really move the needle Sarah's going on loan and I don't think he's ideal for the Premier League I, I don't think Thiago Silva is in any way suited to uh, to being a first choice every game starter in the Premier League for a team with no other good centre-backs If you, if you could tell me he was coming in to partner Merrick Laporte, Sionchu, Van Dyke, um, Toby Alderweireld, fine. If he was coming in to be the third centre-back and he was going to be used in certain situations, in big games, maybe in the Champions League, fine. But at Chelsea, surely he's the first-choice starter. Because what else do you have? I mean, Zuma had a decent year by his standards. And Rudiger's the odd man out. He's the one they want rid of. But a year ago, Rudiger was allegedly one of the best centre-backs in the league. And Zuma was failing miserably on a second consecutive loan spell. I, I don't see it. I really don't see it. A couple of other bits and pieces uh, in the BBC gossip page then. Arsenal are set to walk away from a deal to sign £45 million rated Ghanaian midfielder Thomas Partey from Atletico Madrid this summer. Um, Well, he's got a buyout clause, which is, I think, £50 And it's a clear case of either you pay it or you don't. Atletico won't negotiate with them. So... He is the type of player they need, but that is a big expense. I wonder if someone like Bubakari Samare from Lille, who they've already got an existing relationship now over the Gabriel deal, if that's maybe where they could look. Conrad Lamer from RB Leipzig is another one they could look at. Maybe look at Lewis Cook from Bournemouth if they just want someone who's a sitter and a recycler of the ball, break play up. Lewis Cook's a really good player. Whether he's ideal for that role, I don't know. If they want someone that bit more athletic, bit more powerful, Lamer or, or Sumari is the way I'd go. Um, Newcastle United are interested in bringing Arsenal centre-back Rob Holding in on loan and the Gunners are open to offers. That makes sense for everybody. Um, 
especially if they're going to play a back three, Newcastle, and with the couple of injuries that they had last year, it would make sense just to add one more, especially if it's a loan that you're not committed to keeping. Um, I don't know if it's the right move for holding, because obviously he's not going to get games at Arsenal next year. If he wants to get games, he won't get them at Newcastle because they do have better defenders than him. I wonder if maybe alone to the championship. There's an ambitious championship club out there looking for, you know, a proven commodity centre back. Rob Holding might make more sense for them, and it might make more sense for him. Uh, Fulham have entered the race to sign Brentford forward Ollie Watkins, with several other Premier League clubs also interested. Villa, Leeds, and West Brom all heavily linked, and. I would have thought Villa would be the favourites to get him with the uh, the Dean Smith link. But that's gone quiet on that front, so who knows? Um, Watkins is going to be a good player in the Premier League for whoever signs him, though. Uh, so that's, that's all I really have to say on him. Two other things. Uh, one is that tomorrow, slightly different type of show, I've got Lee Scott, uh, author of Mastering the Premier League, the Tactical Concepts, behind Pep Guardiola's Manchester City and King Klopp rebuilding the Liverpool dynasty. He is coming on uh, tomorrow and hopefully throughout the season, Lee's going to do once a week, 15 to 20 minutes to talk about tactics and what he's seeing in terms of trends in the Premier League, what managers are being innovative, which managers maybe less so, what tactical battles are really interesting him in upcoming games. So um, I'm really excited to have Leon. He's a really, really good guy. He's one of the very best when it comes to talking tactics. If you haven't read his books, um, I've read the Manchester City book and it's it's brilliant. Um, I've ordered the Klopp one, so I'm hopeful that will arrive this week. But yeah, Lee, Lee's great and he's going to be on tomorrow with me. And uh, we're going to talk about the books talk a few of the bits and pieces about what, what teams interest him this year. Probably have a little bit of a talk about Bielsa as well, because I'd imagine for a tactician, the arrival of Marcelo Bielsa into the Premier League is uh, is really, really exciting. And then the last thing I wanted to mention. Um, so I listened back to yesterday's show and noticed something. And then I w- listened back to Monday's show and uh, noticed it again. And that is that I say the word remarkable or remarkably, an awful lot. So I have made a concerted effort today to limit my usage of the words. Uh, so I hope you notice the difference. <laughs> it may be that you didn't notice at all. It may be just my, you know, slightly paranoid nature creeping up on me. Um, but yeah, it's just something I noticed. Uh, I will be back tomorrow with Lee Scott. Thank you very much for listening. Check out eplindex.com and all the writing that we have going on there. Check out the EPL Index shop. If you are, for example, a Bayern Munich fan or you have a Bayern Munich kit and you would like to adorn it with the official Champions League winners badge, we have them for sale on EPL Index shop. If you have, uh, if you're a Liverpool fan, the Premier League ones are there. The official Premier League ones, the official World Club Cup ones are there as well. Um, We've got a bunch of the stuff. Just check it all out. It's all really, really good stuff. And uh, that's it. That's me for today. I will see you tomorrow. Thanks, as always, to producer Guy. Thank you for listening. See you later. 
Social Podcast Network.